Welcome to the First Impressions Podcast, the official podcast of the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams. Every month, Chris John Riley and myself, Martin McKay, share informal conversations with security professionals from around the globe. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone, and any sarcasm you hear is purely intentional. For more information on FIRST or this podcast, please check out FIRST.org. Hello and welcome to the FIRST Impressions Podcast. I'm your host, Martin McKay. Joining me is my co-host, Chris John Riley. And today we have Irene Rezikoff. I, I hope I didn't butcher that too badly, Irene. Great job, great job. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you're a cyber investor, and you've been investing into deep tech and cybersecurity in Israel for, well, probably beyond Israel, but based in Israel for over eight years. Um, And I'd like to start the conversation with a kind of uncomfortable point, which is, as we're recording this, there there are actions happening in the Ukraine and Russia that we really are not qualified to talk about. But it has an impact on the real world. It has an impact on the acquisitions and mergers um, that you see on a regular basis. First of all, give it, give us a little bit of background into what you've been doing and how does this affect the type of work you do? Yeah, so uh, first of all, great to be here. I've been investing in Israeli startups and also U.S. startups since 2015. My main focus was cybersecurity and is cybersecurity. I'm also looking at enterprise software in general and cloud infrastructure and other deep tech areas. Working mostly with early stage companies, started off in Wild Ventures, uh, which is an Israeli-focused venture capital fund focused on cybersecurity Israeli startups. Then went to establish a new fund called Red Capital Partners. Uh, which was a pretty agnostic fund investing in Israeli and European companies. Uh, And then I joined Cisco Investments and Corporate Development, where I focused on the Israeli region, leading venture investments and M&A. And also through Cisco Investments, I was also co-leading Aspire Fund, which is our global $50 million fund investing in diverse GPs and founders uh, in the U.S., So, you know, I've been around and saw a lot of things regarding the question of current conflict and how does it affect the ecosystem. I think that, first of all, at least for Israeli companies, there's a lot of outsourcing activity um, in the Ukraine. A lot of engineers that are based there, obviously, they're part, you know, of startups and their talent. So obviously, they are affected. Companies should pay attention to their uh, to their people there and make sure they're okay and their families um, are okay. I think that also as we see, you know, this evolves, this conflict, we do see, you know, cybersecurity and the cyber arena becoming, you know, a a warfare arena, a new one. And it is something that I think we will see more and more, you know, cybersecurity attack is becoming something that, you know, it's not only, uh, it's it's becoming an arena between countries as one part of the operation. Um, I do think that if we look at taking it to the private market, companies that are, you know, selling to customers that might be affected by such attacks in regions like that, but also, you know, in every other region across the globe, uh, it's something that uh, these companies should pay attention to as they sell their technologies and think about it and how to address it in real time and and think about these kind of actors, uh, nation state actors that are operating in this arena. So I do think that it is something that we should pay attention to closely uh, and see how can we serve the customers better uh, in these cases. 
yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's becoming a a very important arena to operate in. Aside from the the nation state aspect, which is is complicated and, and has been talked about many times uh, on on many podcasts, is there any kind of area within the M and A space where you you see cyber attacks being used to you know, devalue acquisitions or specifically target acquisitions? I haven't personally seen anything like that. I do think that, you know, if you're looking at venture investments in general, not only M&A, you do see that, you know, companies that are cybersecurity companies, but not only cybersecurity companies are being targeted and they do need to, you know, build out a very strong infrastructure, even when they're, you know, super small to defend themselves. And as they, you know, serve customers, that is a question that customers, you know, want to know whether they are secure and whether their data is going to be secure. So that is becoming something that is very, very important for small scale companies to handle. They are becoming uh, targets of cybersecurity attacks, not only the Fortune 100 companies out there. So I do think that it is something that as an investor, I want to know that the company that I'm investing in um, has a strong infrastructure and thinking about these things. And again, not only um, in cybersecurity companies, but other companies that are, you know, selling to customers and getting their data. We want to know that they have that strong infrastructure to protect against cybersecurity threats. And I think that it, that is happening more and more. I think that this is being addressed more and more. And you see security folks actually being recruited to companies to protect their infrastructure at a pretty early uh, stage in the company's life. Yeah, it's great to to see that happening is like people joining at early stage and trying to change the direction of a company where it's like years gone by, this was an afterthought, right? Like we're ready to go to market. How do we tag security on top of this? One of my main concerns is that a lot of these startups are, you have to be quick, you have to be mobile, you have to be first to market, you have to have innovative idea. And these things don't necessarily align to getting your SOC 2 compliance, making sure you're following ISO standards. If you're if you're pushing the boundaries of technology and coming up with a new and innovative way of doing something, you may be the first person trying to secure this type of technology. And that tends to lead to, to issues. Right. And I think that they're becoming, these startups are becoming, you know, a market themselves. Um, and you see cybersecurity companies that are selling more and more to SMBs and to startups. So, you know, it it goes to both ways as their the demand and awareness is growing for these companies. So is their power as, you know, as a market share. So I think that I I think that we will see that playing out as they're becoming a a bigger market and, you know, becoming themselves security buyers for sure. Now, one of the things I think that you have much more insight than Chris or I, or, or even a lot of our listeners, is what actually happens once a, a business has been merged or acquired or however we want to put it. I mean, there there has to be hundreds, if not thousands, of, of businesses that are 40 or 50 people less that are being purchased to become a feature set or a, a new product for a much larger company that we never hear about. What does that look like for those folks that are coming in to the new system from day one, from day 30, from day 180, uh, how does that, that happen? Yeah, that, so that's a really interesting question. And I think it, it's not being discussed um, enough, right? I mean, we see that these huge exits splash over the news, super you know, positive stories. And it usually like ends there in terms of the cover coverage. And we don't really speak about what happens after um, the acquisition itself. 
And I think that this is something that we should discuss more. One, so we can do that integration better. And the second of all, so you know, we can have uh, companies actually providing the value that the uh, acquisition was you know, intended for. Um, I think that one thing that we should pay attention to is the culture fit. And you see more companies when they have that choice of uh, to who to who uh, to sell their company to, um, they are thinking about it. They are thinking about the cultural fit and where is the team going to be, you know, better integrated in terms of culture of, you know, in, uh, countries themselves, but also culture of a big corporate tech company, you know, and other other such uh, reasons to consider. I think that is one. The second thing is, you know, setting the expectations correctly and understanding what are the people going to do within the company? Are they going to, you know, continue working on their product? Are they going to be a part of a bigger effort? And how does that going to look like? You know, what is the rhythm of work, which is also part of, you know, the cultural question, but also part of, you know, the delivery delivery of products i mean and whether that will fit with you know the talent itself i think that is a very important question you know setting the, that expectation uh with the team and i think that as you know companies are talking through the negotiations and they're trying to understand these questions that is the the right time like to honestly speak about these things from for both sides which is very much you know very important yeah, that, that is some of the things that I think that we should talk about more. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's uh, underrepresented in the M&A space is that some of the, the innovative companies that are getting snapped up, joining large corporates, they, they are the smaller startups are using things like chat ops, right? Everyone has five hats. Everyone's on, on Slack using integrations and it's try and get things done in the best way possible for a small team. And then when you join that larger corporate environment and things are a lot more rigid chat ops is not going to work um you know or may not work for, for what you want to do suddenly it's like you can't use jira because there's this you can't use x because we use this like it's great that you use oracle but we're a sap house or you know all those kind of things and they're all things that people don't really consider when they come on board because like, that's not my core technology my core yeah. technology is what sold me, but everything else around it is how we do it. And then you start to realize sure. that there's those buffers, right? Yeah, I completely agree. I think the tech stack question that you use internally is not being discussed enough. And then, by the way, that can really hurt the integration as well of you know yeah. the team. That is uh, definitely something that you should discuss when you're talking about the integration. I think that it's, you know, Obviously, when you're acquiring a company, there will be adjustments and some of them will be, you know, painful adjustments. But like it, as in every relationship, communication is key. And here as well, communication is key. You know, so I do think that as you talk about these things through the negotiations and you identify the issues that may arise, and that is like the most important thing. You, you understand what can be, you know, what can go wrong and you address it early on and head on. That is very important. And if you understand that, you know, the, the tech stack is super different and people will need, you know, time to onboard, that is something that you need to address day zero. And you need to also to set the expectation correctly for the leaders of the corporate when they want to see, you know, delivery of products super fast. You need to talk about the fact that it in the integration will take more time because, you know, ABC. And that is something that for sure um, you need to pay attention to as you negotiate the terms and as you identify these risks risk during the due diligence process itself. 
I mean, I can't speak for Chris, but personally, I've seen a number of acquisitions from the inside of, of the acquiring company. And th that first 30 days is a, is a huge honeymoon period. But after that, I've seen more of them go wrong than go right. And a lot of times people are not happy to learn that their company was bought for the, the people or the company was bought for one feature of a product and everything else has to get put by the wayside or abandoned and that incorporated into the larger company. How do people, how do companies make, try and make sure that doesn't happen even in the M&A stage rather than waiting for it to happen and being kind of a, a heartbreak six months or a year down the line? Again, communication is key. When you announce the acquisition to your uh, people within the company, you need to communicate very well like what is going to happen in the next 30, 60, 100 days. And you need to communicate that and you need to give them the feeling that they are part of this process. It's not, you know, imposed upon them and they're not pawns in some, you know, bigger game. And I think that a lot of times, you know, that's that's how people feel, you know, they're, they feel like they're being acquired by this huge company. Their tech stack is changing. You know, the, the rules of how do they, how, what is their position in the company changes? Uh, how do they advance their career? You know, all of this uh, changes in a heartbeat. So if you are thinking about your people all of this time and you're communicated every step of the way, you're communicating, you know, how will their position change and how their career, you know, trajectory can change for the better, you know, make that move smoother for them. And you ask them that question and you understand, you know, their needs and you're trying to address these needs. And if you can't address them, you explain why and you involve leader involve uh, leaders from the acquiring company very early on and you create that, you know, culture where they're not, they, they don't feel like, you know, a peripheral area of that new company. They feel like they're part of a bigger effort, you know, doing what they're doing. All of that is super important. Part of that, you know, cultural organization that people should definitely create within their company. And specifically, you want to make sure that the cultural transition also happens. People, obviously, they would need to adjust, but you can help them do that. Um, in a way that retains them in the company. And maybe uh, maybe the acquiring company needs to change their culture because maybe the culture of the company being acquired is better than theirs. Well, that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't think tricky. that will ever happen, unfortunately. But That is some brutal honesty. And uh, given where, where what Chris does, uh, I think he, he appreciates that. One can hope, obviously. And maybe we can find, you know, uh, cases in history that, uh, that happened uh, more so in mergers than acquisitions. Yeah, but I think that is very, very difficult, you know, to to create for sure. Well, one thing that that comes to mind is, is like once you've gone through you know, that initial honeymoon period that Martin mentioned, as a company that's being acquired, there's often this this period where everything is on the go, right? Everyone wants information from you. Everyone needs to know how these things fit together. And you hit day thirty. Compliance team wants X, security team wants X, privacy team wants X, legal wants X. And often some of these things get pushed to the back of the queue because it's like, okay, if we don't do this, we're not out of compliance. We're not going to get sued. We're not going to, you know, the systems are not going to get turned off, right? We're still going to pay the electricity bill. So the whole procurement org is fine. And those things naturally take a priority. But 
how do you find companies end up processing all of these things coming at them from different angles? And, and have you seen any good examples of how people have tried to organize this well without dropping things on the floor? So I can't give specific examples, yeah. but I, for sure, when you have an integration team uh, in place and they're doing their work correctly, you can manage that. First of all, through the due diligence process, you need to identify these areas and how would you address them on day one and day 30. And if you're doing that, you know, in a, in a good, deep way, identifying these areas and the risks associated to these areas, uh, you can manage that pretty well. You need to have, you know, people that are the leaders within the new company and the leaders that are, you know, now in charge of the new company. You need to have them all like recruited for that mission. You need to understand how that does that fit, you know, in their overall priorities. Sometimes, you know, they have other priorities that are not related to the acquired company that can be, you know, that can be an issue in the integration you need to understand like what are the obstacles in that specific uh, use case and pinpoint them and then address them in a way that in a way that the the acquisition goals are not hurt and the you know in the timeline that you set for yourself i think that again like the key here is the is the integration and uh, process itself and before that um, the risks that you identified in the due diligence process itself if you're doing a, a well enough work there and you're managing the integration process in a in a in a very uh, you know correct way addressing these risks firsthand uh, you will manage it you will succeed in managing it so you've told us a lot of things that are, are really good M&A team will do in, in starting the conversation. But if you're on the being acquired side, this may be an uncomfortable question, but what would be red flags that you should look for that a, that a team that's trying to acquire you just does not understand some of that acquisition process and is not going to have your company's best interest to heart? You know, it's a really tough question uh, because obviously, when you're being acquired or you're in negotiations to be acquired, you're not in a, you know, in a strong position. The dynamics at the table is that, you know, you're waiting to get an offer and then it makes it difficult for you to, you know, to demand answers to questions. Obviously, it's not that you're equals in the, in the negotiations and that's, you know, that's the honest truth. What you should do, I think, in that process is, you know, to to initiate as much discussions as you can with the people that will be in charge in the org charge of the organization, they'll be in charge of your team, which will be, you know, your boss. That is a very important aspect of it. You want to know that the person that will be, you know, your boss in the new organization has your, has the, in, within his priorities or her priorities, you know, your best interest and that you see eye to eye in terms of how to lead, you know, that business or your people uh, to the same direction. And that is, a, that is a, something that you can understand from a, you know, a one-on-one -on -one discussion with these people that will be the leaders that will be in charge on the, on the company itself. I think that also you see, you know, how do they manage the process and what are the areas that they care about uh, in the due diligence process. So you can learn a lot about the organization. You can learn a lot on their speed, can learn a lot on you know the intelligent questions that they're asking or not intelligent questions that they're asking 
you know, the due diligence, the tech due diligence itself, um, and what do they care about and what do they don't care about. So all of these are areas, how do they speak with the people? How do they address HR questions? Even if they don't have, you know, a huge M&A staff, you see what areas they care about when they engage with, you know, with you in the due diligence process. You can, you can see if they care about the people, they care about the retention, they care about the technology or they don't care about the technology. Do they understand the technological stack? Do they ask themselves questions of, you know, how does, you know, the, the, the post integration will look like, how can we make it successful? So all of these you can see when you're, you know, talking to these people um, and trying to assess them from your side. Obviously, you won't have all of the answers, and you know sometimes it's a leap of faith. You can you can learn a lot on how people are managing the process even without asking them anything. And also, you know, maybe speak with people that have been acquired in the past. Talk to people in the ecosystem. This is a small ecosystem, even if it's a you know, it's a player that ha hasn't invested in, in the region or hasn't invested in companies, you know, in your region before. The world today is small. You can reach out to people that were acquired and then left. You can understand whether they're, you know, what, what problems did they encounter in the new company? What cultural fit did they see, you know, between their company and, and the acquiring companies? It's it's funny. I'm I'm sitting over laughing because it it sounds a lot to me like something I have much recent experience with, which is job interviews and finding a new job. Uh, many of the things that you stated a a merger company being acquired has to look at are the exact same things that somebody looking for a new place to work has to have those conversations. And being in security, we have some we have a little bit more leverage, I think, right now than most job seekers do i think it's very similar in terms of the dynamic you know i had this discussion with someone that got an offer from a unicorn company uh, to be acquired and it's a private company so you know he's trying to understand what's the status of the company but there aren't a lot of you know public information and we were talking about it and he was looking at it as you know we're investors in the company how do we understand if we need to invest in this company and actually be acquired? And I told him that I don't think it's, you know, an investor relations. I think it's more of a, you know, you're an employee to be uh, in this company. And the discussion that you're having with this company is not to be, not, not for you to invest in it, but to you to work in it. So treat it as a, as a, as a job interview process and talk to people that left and talk to people that are there now and try to understand the cultural fit better, you know, to the extent that is possible, obviously, because it's a very, very sensitive process. So, you know, try to do that in, in a sensitive way without, you know, disclosing anything that you've, you, you're not now in discussions to be acquired. I think that, that you should treat it uh, as, as that you, when you're going to um, an interview nowadays, you're interviewing you know, the company as well, you know, that is very important. That also changes the dynamics in um, in the table. That changes the, the power dynamics. When the company that is, you know, negotiating with you understands that, you know, you have options and you want to know, you want to know how it will be to work in this company. Uh, and you're trying to understand, you know, that through the process, I think that it also changes the, the power dynamics a bit. Thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. It's been uh, it's been great. Is there anywhere where people can reach out? Social media? Do you have a blog? Anywhere where people can find more information if they if they want to talk? I think over LinkedIn, that's the best place for sure.
and I'm I'm written Iren, so I R E N Resnikov. Well then, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. It's been uh, an interesting discussion, and hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the First Impressions podcast, and thanks to this week's guest. You can find Chris John Riley on Twitter at Chris John Riley, all one word. You can find me, Martin McKay, on Twitter at MCKEAY. And you can find the first organization at first.org, F I R S T D O T O R G. You can also find more information about First and the First Impressions podcast at first.org. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.